I've known for some time that I was to um, bring you the word tonight, and um, that's not always good for me because I think I've got six starts at home if you're interested in what those are. And um, it was about two weeks ago, we were dealing with a situation with a, a person at work who uh, they were getting not only a lot of harassment, but they were also being asked to be participants in and do things that in their conscience they couldn't handle. They couldn't let that happen. And so they were standing up against other people of God, so to speak. And the other people had no problem with what was happening, but this person did. So it was in the, in the midst of all of that that as we were talking, <clears throat> almost getting a daily report of what was going on and asking for God's favor and for him to give wisdom to this person on how they were to handle the situation, that I was uh, listening to a, a man who was talking about our work and, and what we do uh, with our time and, and how, in his mind, that was pretty important to God. And as I was listening to him, I was uh, kind of challenged to start um, looking at some things, and uh, I think Pastor Joe calls it being on a rabbit trail. You know, you just kind of start down this thing, and you're not sure where you're going to go, and it goes a lot of different ways. So I'm trusting God tonight that I can make this so that it will, it will make sense to you because I was thinking back to the time that uh, when, before I retired, I was going to say when I, when I used to work. Um, I think I still do, but... Um, before I retired, um, I was thinking of times that, that there, would, there would become conflict at work. Conflict because I felt like I was kind of commissioned by God to do what I was doing. And, and others, particularly bosses, um, if you will, it wasn't politically correct. And I don't know if you've ever been blessed with that situation or not, but it's a, it's a tough one to deal with because... Uh, <laughs> there are those who want to be politically correct because there's something in that that has steps in it that lets you walk over people to the top. And I didn't feel comfortable in that. And I was thinking about some of those things. And this person uh, kind of challenged me, the, the speaker, uh, about how important work was and how, you know, to God, it's something that we need to take a look at. I'd like to start in Genesis, if we, Genesis 1. I hope you got plenty of time, because I got probably way too much to talk about here, but <laughs> we'll give our go. <laughs> We've been through Genesis before, and you've, you've read the account, and it's always amazing to me that God was able to uh, beyond all of my comprehension, to speak to nothing and make it into something. Not only something, but it was something perfect. And as he did that, as he got clear to the end of that, I want to go to Genesis one thirty-one. <clears throat> After he had done that, and he saw all that he had made, all that he would spoken to being in those six days... It says, then God saw everything that he had made, and indeed it was very good. It wasn't just good, it was perfect. It was very good. And indeed it was very good. So the evening and the morning were the sixth day. And then he brings in a, another little thing that we, it's the rabbit trail that we probably could, ought to go down sometime, but it says, thus the heavens and the earth and all the hosts of them were finished. And on the seventh day, God did what? He rested. My version says he ended his work. You ever thought of God as being someone who works? You know, to me, uh, speaking something into being wouldn't necessarily be work. But if you look at that word, it's something we have nothing in our vocabulary that really covers it, and it does talk about uh, being, if you will, a, a, a workmanship that he did 
with his tongue. And, for, and it says, he, he rested from his work, which ended his work, which he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all the work which he had done. We could talk a little bit about that seven-day rest. You know, in, in the Hebrew, that, that particular word that he's talking about there is, is Shavat, or to us it's Sabbath. And, and that was a day when all work ceased in the Hebrew home. All work ceased. And Israel rested and meditated on the glory of God's creation, the heavens and the earth. That was, that was their goal that day. You been doing that today? I'm not going to answer it. But I think, you know, we don't take the Sabbath serious enough for God. And I'm, I'm, I'm really concerned if, if Jesus was here speaking tonight, what he would say about that. Then it says, And God blessed the seventh day, and he sanctified it, because in it he rested from his work, which God had created and he made. And it speaks a good bit in Exodus about how important that is, but that's not the rabbit trail I want to get on tonight. Let's, let's go back to Genesis one twenty six. God has, has spoken to being all of the animals, all of the, the, the herbs and forages and grasses and all of those kind of things. In verse 26 it says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on earth. Verse 27, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created him. Then God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Some of that we've done a pretty good job of. Some of the rest, not so much. And, and as, as, I, as I thought about that, have you ever thought about if we're created in God's image, what's God look like? What's that mean in his image? You know, and, and I'm trusting man in all this because uh, Hebrew is something I have little understanding of. But as, as I looked up that word, it, that the image that it's talking about there is our resemblance. And, and we'll talk about some of that resemblance in a minute. Or our representation. So we're, we're representing God. And you want to think about that as we're talking tonight about work. That we're God's representatives here on earth. And if you will, that, that image has a sense of reason to it. Now, as you think of a cow or a sheep or you name it, and by the way, you know, being a sheep farmer, I, I can say this, but don't talk about my little girls too much, but, you know, when God calls you a sheep, it's not a compliment. It's, you know, sheep need lots of shepherding, and, and they'll do some pretty dumb things. But God gave us, because we're created in his image, the reason he gave us each one a personality, which is a problem sometimes, right? Yeah. We, we don't all agree with everybody else's personality. And he also gives us an intellect that they don't have. And, and I've uh, reminded them sometimes after God reminded me, I'm sorry I expected so much of you sheep because I know you don't have the intellect I have. But I really wanted you to go through that gate that I had open. That's why I had it open. I didn't want you to go back over the hill. And, and, and they're, just, they're just things that we have because we're created in God's image that they don't. And probably one of the most important of those is relationship. And I was thinking about this. We've had a situation at home where I, I don't know exactly what happened, but I lost a mom that had two babies. And for three or four hours, 
those babies were totally distraught, really hurting, really concerned, until the shepherd went in and got them a bottle with milk. They finally got to the point that they would drink some of that. And you know who their mommy is now? Yeah. And, and that relationship that they had for three weeks, it's out the window. They have no, they have no recollection of that, best I can tell. Because when I come in the barn, <laughs> they know mom's arrived. And they know what mom's probably carrying. So, you know, and there's sometimes I go in more than, often than they uh, get fed. So they're pretty disappointed about that. So you and I have a relationship possibility that other animals don't have. And if you've seen animals in a, in a flock or in a group and see them operating like on TV or something like that, you'll see them stay together. But invariably... When they're predators after them, what happens? One of them takes off, doesn't it? And when that happens, everybody else stops and helps, right? Mm-mm. Relationship's over. Now, it would be nice if the animals would take after us, but I'm afraid we're taking after the animals some, you know? Our relationships aren't as tight as they used to be, are they? It's not near as important. And, and I, 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 well, I'll let that one go right there. And what, one other thing besides, he said, creating him, us in, in his image, he was creating us in his likeness. Now, if I understood that word, that means we are a model of him. And if you will, we have, a, we have shape and we're likeness in our manners we're, we are to be like him, likeness in manners as well as in looks. And again, um, I don't know how well, well, I do know how well God would be pleased with our, with our uh, likeness at times. It, you know, it probably is not what he wants us to be, but that, that's, that's why God created us, and that's why he told us to be what we are. Another rabbit trail that I don't really want to talk about tonight, but one that we need to talk about sometime is it's, he also said we were to have dominion. What's that mean to you? You have dominion. What's that mean? <laughs> Basically, in the Hebrew, as I understand it, it means we become God's agent. You and I are God's agent here on earth. We're, we're the ones, we're, we're the kingdom agent. And, and he expects us to rule and, and, if you will, bring under control creation. And, and as I thought of that, this probably shouldn't mention this, but I was, I was in a meeting one time, and there was a, a, a speaker, and he was talking, talking to a bunch of us old guys, and, and um, he was telling a story about an old farmer that he'd gone out to see, and this old farmer... Uh, when he got there, he was really impressed uh, with uh, how the farm looked and, and the, the, the speaker was. And uh, wanting to get in a Christian witness, he said, boy, God, God really has done a good job on your farm. And the guy said, wait a minute, wait a minute. He said, you should have seen it when God had it alone. We do have responsibility, don't we, Bruce? And it, it might even mean we're taking out autumn olive, right? We have, we have responsibility. He's given that to us. And if you will, that dominion says that, that we, we are responsible for that sphere that he's put us in and, and what we're to do. So, if we, if we had read on down that account, our ability to sustain and be the role that God wants us to be, it depends on or it rests on our obedience to God's rule. Now think about that a minute. If, if we are the people God wants us to be, it's because we're following his rule. He is, he's made us an agent, if you will. He's, he's made us one who carries out, a servant who carries out what he gives us to carry out, the role that he's given us to carry out in, in, in this life. And that being, you know, being the situation... Once we cross over and don't obey what he gives us, then we get into a tough situation because all of a sudden the promises of God 
become of little use, don't they? Because we just fouled up the agreement. Now, he said we would have pa- that, that if, if you will, that uh, a, a dominance or dominion that we have would, would be power to reign. Um, and, and basically, uh, again, <laughs> men being who they are after our fallen nature, given the power to reign, we, we'll take it to the extreme, won't we? Even to the point of making executive orders. Okay? And, and you know, we, we go way beyond what God intended us to be and what he intended us to do. And, and, it, and, and how successful that is depends on how, how well we're following what God gives us to do. So, what was the first order God gave man? Come on. What was the, what was the first command he gave him? All right, 2.16. You there? And the Lord God commanded the man, saying what? Of every tree of this garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in that day that you eat it you shall surely die. How'd we do? (laughs) Didn't last very long, did it? Now, we want to talk a little bit about that, but God's plan, if you will, is perfect, but our execution is far from perfect. Let's go back to Genesis 2.8. The Lord God planted a garden eastward in Edom, and there he put man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made every tree grow that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. And if, and if you're having a question about that, we take a tree and break it down and look at all the elements, and then guess where, the, where every one of those elements is? In the ground. It's a, it, just like you and I were formed from the ground, so every tree, every plant, has all those same elements that the soil has. And out of the ground the Lord God made every tree grow that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was also in the midst of the garden, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Now a river went out from Eden to water the garden, and from there it parted and became four river heads. And you, you can look at those. And then verse Uh, 15, then the Lord God took man and put him in the garden of Eden and gave him his first responsibility. What was that? Keep and tend it, if you will. We were to guard, protect, we were to hedge it about. You know, we were were to be gardeners. We were to, to be the husband of that garden. And, and of course, it was at, at that point that the the account of the the, the lady, the woman being uh, formed, also. But I want I, w- I want to say to you that you know, as you look at at what he's done there, he he is giving us has given us a job, and he told us that we were to have dominion, and that we were to be in his image, and that we were to obey, and we were to follow him, and then. Verse 18, where he, and the Lord God said, It's not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable, is what the word I have. That's really talking about being complementary. And it's, you know, it's a, it, it always amazes me when a young couple, uh, don't have to be a young couple, but when a couple comes in for, for marriage counseling, um, the man is here and she's here, and they're totally different just about every time. But if you look at what, each one of them has, they fit together pretty well. And I'm, I'm sure some of you, now, not that Joyce and I are different, but, you know, I'm sure some of you have seen some of that. And, and it, it's that complementariness there that he's talking about when he's, he says they're going to be comparable. The woman is going to be comparable to him. And so it also means completing. And then he goes on to say, if we, if we read on, He's made a male and female, and he asked them to do what? 
I want your relationship to be so strong that you're one. Good luck. All right? Now, if God ever set us up to depend on him, it's right there. Because try to do that on your own. Try to keep her happy. Try to keep him happy on your own. And, and we need God. And that's a, that's a part of the work that he's given us. So she was completing to him. And, and, it's, and that, that word, if, again, as I understand the, the commentaries of, uh, uh, on the Hebrew, it's talking about in daily work, in course, in, in, in creating children, and mutual support and companionship. And, you know, as, as we look at that, I would say to you that, uh, you know, we see that falling apart in our country, don't we? And even to the point now that um, <clears throat> two males complete each other, two females complete each other. Okay, that's a different kind of completion than what God had in mind. Rabbit trail. I'll leave that. Let's go to Genesis 3. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed, or has he really said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? Now I got a feeling this, this rascal was listening in, don't you? And And the best I can tell, he had no relationship with this with the gal before this but he, he you know he's asking her a question now and I, I <laughs> he's asking her a question to the point that there has to be some relationship established there I mean if somebody come up to you and ask that straight out I think you'd probably look at him weird but if it's somebody you know then then you might listen in and the woman said to the serpent we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree, which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat it. And she added in there, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Now, if you look at that word die, that's talking about a physical death. But is that what God really said? He's not talking about a physical death, is he? Let's, let's read on. Then the serpent said to the woman, You are not going to die a physical death. For God knows in the day that you eat of it, number one, your eyes will be open. Now that, you know, uh, back in First uh, John two sixteen, it says that that's called, you know, the lust of the eyes. Remember that? Your eyes will be open, and you will be like God. That's the pride of life. And knowing good and evil. And so the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise. So she took of the fruit and ate, and she also gave to her husband, and he ate. And, and of course, you know the rest of it, how... Their eyes were open, and as a result, I, I want to I go to one more place, because what we're talking about now, what I want to get to is, is our work, you and I, responsibility that God's given us here on earth. As a result of that sin, when God found them, they realized they were naked, and they were trying to cover themselves, and, and the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. And of course, prior to that, the man said, "No, it was a woman that you know it was her fault." So the Lord God said to the serpent, "What did he do? To, what did God do to the serpent?" It says he cursed it, didn't it? Now you kind of get a sense as you as I listen to even some of God's people. When they're talking about work, work is a curse we have to get by with here on earth. Got to have the money, you know. Got to put up with it, you know. Thank God it's Friday, you know, that kind of thing. And, and yet, 
I even had someone tell me, well, you know, God cursed work. Well, let's read on. He, cur- he cursed, he cursed, if you will, the serpent. What did he do to the lady? 16, to the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply your sorrow, your conception. In pain, you shall bear, bear your children. So, you know, he's talking about childbirth, and, and there's lots we can talk about there, but he didn't curse her, right? He cursed serpent, but not her. The ground, verse 17, what's it say? Cursed is the ground. Now, he's talking to the man now. Cursed is the ground for your sake. So the ground is cursed, and as Bruce and I were talking, that, that's why we spend so much time worrying about some multiflora rose and some autumn olive things with thorns and thistles, right? And I was just thinking today, as I went down and checked the sheep before I come here, I got lots of thistles to take care of, okay? And, and that's because the ground was cursed, and those things were added into that. I got a feeling if we could go back to, to the... The Garden of Eden, there were no thorns. There were no multiple rows. There were no autumn olives. That wasn't there. It was perfect. As a matter of fact, it says everything that, uh, every herb was there for him to eat. What did, he, what did he say? What did he do? What did God do with the man? Verse 19. In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread. Interpret that for me. What's he saying? You're going to have to work. You're going to have to sweat. But if you do that, what's going to happen? You're going to be able to eat bread, right? Now, Paul, being the um, politically correct guy he was, in Thessalonians, he said, if you don't work, well, you don't eat. Because God's word says what? If you're going to eat, you're going to work. That's what it says. We're going to, we're going to by the sweat. Her face till we turn till we return to the ground for out of it you were taken from dust you are and to dust you shall return now as I think about all that um, but let me, I, I tried writing down some things that I understood about our role man woman male, female, in the fairs here on earth. Because of this, now, if you, again, let's go back to think about creation. At creation, we were the only ones given the vital role that you and I have. And it says, because of this strategic vital role given to man, we must assume that man is given the most valuable and respected role by God. The world affairs literally stand or fall depending on mankind. Now, <laughs> if you don't understand what that means, just turn on the news. Because it's all there. Man doing his thing, but not God's way. We have that ability. God has given us, mankind, that ability. Matter of fact, we have power to, to deplete resources. We can pollute water and we can pollute soil. Or we can cause the earth to blossom and prosper, can't we? And, and that's all in our power. And if you will, it depends on what our outlook is. Sin from one man corrupted the world. Man's continued sin this caused the flood. Think about that a minute. It was that continued... Sinless, sinless, sinless of man that caused God to say, I'm, I'm wiping this whole, whole thing out. Noah, let's go build an ark. In contrast, obedience of one man, Jesus Christ, did what? He brought back the possibility of us becoming what God wanted us to be to begin with, didn't he? He brought justification and he provided us with righteousness. If we walk in the righteousness and the, and the justification, we can cause the world to bloom and blossom. And, I, and I'm sure just driving down the road, you can get a sense of, of where some agricultural people are 
and the relationship to God by just looking at, at the premises that God's given him. God desires to reveal his truth and his beauty through redeemed man. So we go back to the beginning. What, what was the job he gave us? To tend, to care for that garden. And, and that's still, if you will, the responsibility he gave us. But he wants to do it through a redeemed man, not somebody who's going to go out and kill six neighbors. Okay? It needs to be a redeemed person. And we're, we're born into this world unredeemed. Can you believe that? We are totally... Uh, Nathan's little, little guys, as much as you, know, you love and care for them and, and, and watch them, but you know, being three and five, um, they're not redeemed. They're not. Now, <laughs> the little eight-month-old, most of the time he acts redeemed, but there's times that he's not, too. And so God wants us, and, and if, if you're one of God's people, and I'm assuming everybody in here tonight is, if we're one of God's people, each one of us has a strategic significance in our sphere, wherever that is, in our neighborhood, at our work, you know, at our church, wherever it is. And, and, and our goal, if you will, is to strive to maximize that. I'd like to go to, to Psalms 8. You can, we're gonna, we'll be back and forth here, but let's go to Psalms 8 just a moment. This is a psalm of David, uh, a man who was not perfect, but a man who was redeemed. And this is how he saw the earth. O Lord our God, how excellent is your name in all the earth. Can you truly say that? As you, as you, as you drive, drove here tonight, as you drive home, can you see the excellence of God? I, I am, I, I've been... Uh, it's been such a blessing to me to to watch um, the earth kind of unfold this spring, and and in seeing that, seeing how some plants are are so tender and so small, and yet when you really get down and examine them, they're excellent. It's done right. Some of them are big and overwhelming, and um, I don't know if you've uh, probably done. Something you don't worry about, but if you look at some of the, a lot of the, the uh, crop fields in our area now, they're beautiful yellow. You seen it? Not a good plant. It's it's not a thorn, but it's a cousin. Okay, and and as you look at that, that that is a a beautiful plant, but it needs to be under the control of man. And we're, we're doing things our way, and in doing them our way, we're taking away everything else and allowing it to prosper. One of these days, we're going to find out that we can't do that. Verse 2, chapter 8. Out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants, you have ordained strength because of your enemies. You have made silence the enemy and the avenger. God has provided all that we need. And that's what David's trying to tell us. And he said, when I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon, the stars which you have ordained, what's man that you're mindful of him? <laughs> have you ever, have, recently have you watched all the clouds and, and, and just think that, that how, how massive and vast that is? And, and you think, there's no way that he's going to care about me down here, right? Yeah, he does. And, and you know, he's... It, his, David asked the question, and I could ask the question, but it's still the truth. What is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you visit him? For you have made him a little lower than the angels, and you have crowned him with glory and honor. You're crowned with glory and honor. If you're a righteous person, if you've given your heart to Christ, you, that's where you are. You have made him to have dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, 
even the beasts of the field, the birds of the air, the fish of the sea that pass through the paths of the sea. O Lord our God, how excellent is your name in all the earth. And we, we, you know, we have courses, we sing about that. But God has done everything excellent and even given us an opportunity to be a part of that and be excellent. All right. I want to kind of cap that off right there, and I want to go someplace else. Think of, think of your day tomorrow, and how much of that time, what percentage of that time tomorrow are you going to spend working in the workplace? I know some of you are home, don't have anything to do, I know, but it's still your workplace. You don't, you don't have to be at pennies in order to... Uh, of our awakening time, if we take away, let's assume you sleep eight hours. I know some of you sleep four and some sleep more than that. But if, you, if on average, if we sleep eight hours, that leaves us 16 hours. How much of that do we work? Over 50%, right? We're at work. Pretty important to the Lord what we do at that place. Now, I've seen those folks who, you know, have have gone into a workplace and have been very vocal about who they are in Christ and what Christ is in them, and and I usually admire some of that, but it it can get beyond that. But one of the things that I've always noticed and always appreciated was that person who was always there when it was time to start. And not 15 minutes late every day. And also appreciated that person who was, while they were there, were working. Um, I better let that one go, too. Between my freshman and sophomore year in college, I worked for the state highway. Enough said? I have never worked so hard in my life to get out of work. Um, growing up on the farm, if you had, you know, if you had stuff to do, you did it, you know, because if you didn't, it wasn't going to get done. There, you made that half hour last all eight hours. I just, I'm sorry. So you work full time. I, I always appreciate that guy that's very productive, kind of goes the extra mile, honest and thorough. And that's this person I was telling you about early on that, that was one of the things they had a difficulty with was that they were being honest. And if you will, there were those manipulating the figures so that they would look good. And yeah, it, there was a truth in what was being reported. But as a whole, it wasn't honest. How do you handle that? I always appreciated it, and I remember one in particular who was very joyful every time that that we were together uh, doing something. He was always enjoying what he was up to. Matter of fact, even to the point I wondered sometimes, uh, are you doing something I don't know behind my back? But, you know, if if we're righteous and we have God within us and we have the Holy Spirit within us, one of the fruits of the Spirit is what? It's joy. How many of us, how many would would convict us for being joyful at work tomorrow? Oh, my. And as I thought of that, you know, to me, it it really is, it speaks volume to me as I look at, watch somebody who is a Christian who is doing all the right things as opposed to one who's saying all the right things and not doing all the right things. You know what I'm saying? And, and I think, as a whole, we, we need to be people who work, do work of excellence. And I, I remember in the Scripture, God told us to take up our cross and follow him, right? And, again, this man that I was listening to, he says, when, when Jesus was asked, made to carry the cross to Galgotha. You know where they went? Right down 
Via Delarosa. You know what that is? That's, that's the farmer's market. That's where everybody was buying and selling. It was in the marketplace, in the workplace, that the cross was carried. You and I need to carry our, or take up our cross. We need to carry it to the workplace. Now, hopefully you're not going to have a cross that's going to bend you over, you know. But, but, you know, the cross that he's talking about is, is us doing the right thing, right? Being what God wants us to be. And, and we need to carry that when we go to the workplace. Now, I was thinking about, think of David. What, what, what value is there for a Christian in a workplace? Yeah, you get dollars. And yeah, you get to pay the bills. But beyond that, what else can you do? And, and, and I think it's been said here maybe twice in the last uh, couple services I've been to that David learned to kill the bear and the lion where? In his workplace, didn't he? And then when the time came that he needed to protect his country, he was ready because he had already done it. And, and our faith can grow in the workplace. And I can assure you this person that, that, I, that I, I mentioned that we've been praying with, that person's faith is a lot higher now than it was. And, and, and there's been a tremendous statement made in the workplace about what is right and wrong and what Christians do that they can't deny, okay? Yeah, there's been some friends lost, friends lost. Yeah, there's some people who aren't real happy that, you know, that they have to do extra work or whatever. But that's the cross, isn't it? That's a part of our cross. That's what we're, that's what we're to do. We're to be God's people. We're to be his representatives. We're to be his righteousness in the workplace. And you and I can do that. How about Paul? Was he in the workplace? He was a tent maker. We know that he used that for income, but he also it gave him a chance to relate to people at their level where they were. And you and I have that same opportunity. And then, <laughs> the one I really got to thinking about, there, there was a young man who was born of a virgin who for until he was 30 did what? He was a carpenter. Now, I got a feeling if he picked up a board and got a splinter in his finger, he felt it just like Bruce and I do. I got a feeling. He is 100% man, right? He's also 100% God. And if he was driving a nail and smashed his thumb, it probably got blood under there, didn't it? It probably got black. And, and yet, for 30 years, until he was 30, not for 30 years, until he was 30, what kind of job do you think he did in the, in, the, in the workplace? I'll bet he wasn't a slofford, because he was representing God. And you and I can't be. We're representing God. We need, we need to give all we can in that workplace. Let's go to Matthew 24. Twenty-four forty-five. Talking again about the, the workplace, and these are Jesus' word, 45. Then, who then is faithful and a wise servant? In other words, who, who is that person that's representing Christ like you and I? can do, because we're Christians, whom the master made ruler over the household to give them food in due season. Okay, so we have responsibility, and from that we're going to receive food. And blessed is that servant whom his master, when he comes, will find so doing. Assuredly, I say to you, now if you will, the master comes home at a, a weird time, and the guy's still working. That's what he's saying, right? In, in verse 46, the guy's giving a full day. 47, surely I say to you that he will make him ruler over all his goods. But if that evil servant 
says in his heart, my master is delaying his coming and begins to beat his fellow servant and to eat and drink with the drunkards. None of that in the workplace. The master of that servant will come on a day when he's not looking for him and an hour he's not aware of and he'll cut him in two. I don't know why Bruce, but I never saw he was going to cut him in two before until I was reading for this. He'll cut him in two and appoint his portion with the hypocrites. And where's that going to be? Some place that there's going to be a lot of weeping and gnashing of teeth. Okay? And so again, God, Jesus is telling his disciples, you need to be a righteous representative of me. And if you're not, here's what's going to happen to you. Let's go to Mark 13. Thirty-two. But of that day and hour no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Take heed, watch and pray, for you do not know when the time is. It is like a man going to a far country, who left his house and gave authority to his servants, and to each his work. There's that word again. He's given responsibility, authority and responsibility, just and, and if you will, the same thing you and I got at creation, exactly the same thing. And commanded the doorkeeper to watch. Watch, therefore, for you do not know when the master of the house is coming, in the evening, at midnight, at the crowing of the rooster, or in the morning, lest coming suddenly he find you sleeping. And what I say to you, I say to you all, watch. We have responsibility of being diligent and watching. I want to go one more place. Luke 19. I'm sorry. Um, 12. 19, verse 12. I didn't give you that part, I don't think. 19, verse 12. A certain nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. So he called ten of his servants, delivered to them ten minas, and said to them, what did he say to them? Some of the versions say occupy, some say do business. But your version says what, Audrey? Work? Work. That's what it means. He's saying you need to work. But the citizens hated him. (laughs) All those people at work tomorrow are not going to enjoy you working. Okay? They hated him and, and, and sent a delegation after him saying, We will not have this man to reign over us. And so it was that when he returned, having received the kingdom, he then commended these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him that, it might, that he might know how much every man had gained. Then came the first saying, Master, your minute has earned ten. And he said to him, Well done, good servant, because you were faithful in a little. You have authority over ten cities. And the second came, Master, your, your minute has earned five. Likewise, he said to him, You also have five cities. Then another one came saying, Master, here's your mina, which I have kept. I put it away in my handkerchief, for I hate... For I feared you because you are an austere man and you collect what you do not deposit and you reap what you do you did not sow. Have you ever felt that you were making more money for your boss than what you're receiving? <laughs> this guy did too. Verse 22, and he said to him, Out of your own mouth I will judge you, you wicked servant. You know that I'm an austere man, collecting what I did not deposit, reaping what I did not sow. Why then did you not put your money in the bank that at my coming I might have collected it with interest, or at least with interest, one version says. And he said to those who stood by, Take the mina from him, give it to him who has ten but they said to him, Master, they already have ten. 
And I say to you that to everyone who has will be given, and from him who does not have, even what he, what he has will be taken away from him. But bring here those enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them. And do what? We're working for a righteous God. And God has made us righteous people. And we need to be people who work righteously. I was... um, I had someone else call me. And they were were being put in a position that they didn't feel qualified for. A position that they had not done this work before. But the people putting them there felt that they could do it. Now, this is a person who tries to be excellent in what they're doing. And in that process, they were backing off because they weren't confident that they could be excellent. What do you do in a situation like that? How do you handle that? What do you pray for? Well, any thoughts? The thing that came to my mind is John 14. Let's look at that together. You know where I'm headed? 1425. You're a righteous person. You have God the Spirit living within you, right? These things I have spoken to you while while being present with you, Jesus speaking again, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to you remembrance all things that that I, I said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world giveth do I give. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. And again, that fear that that person had was because they were out of the boat. You ever been out of the boat? God never gave me fins. And I'm telling you, when I get out of a boat, I don't... I... I want a life jacket on. <laughs> but I believe that if you if you think about this, if if somebody in authority is giving you responsibility that you don't feel comfortable doing, I think it's a challenge from them, but it's also a challenge from God for you to trust the Spirit of God to show you what to do. Um this is the way I'd say it. The anointing of the Holy Spirit will enhance the work that you are already gifted to do. So he will help you do the work you're already gifted to do, even though maybe you've never done that. And I, I would say to you that, you know, we, we as God's people have a, a responsibility again to, to, to be people who are willing to go that extra mile. What if we fail? They gave us that responsibility, right? And and I, I'm I'm sure that God will help us pick up the pieces and go on. That that was the conversation we had, and I don't think they did it as well as they were hoping they were going to do it. But I think, by the same token, they were able to get it done. And and if you will, they built their faith. They killed a lion because there's a Goliath coming later. And, and I think that that's what God does to us. He, he challenges us in the workplace. He challenges us to be that. Now, Adam talked uh, you know, a lot today about where we are as a country, where we're coming. And it's always been interesting to me, as, as we come to church, um, I, there are certain people who are one way in church, but when they get out of the church, they're a different way. How's that happen? What what? What is it that allows us to do that? Do they, if, if, they're, if they're God's person, they still have the Holy Spirit in them, right? 
And if you still have the Holy Spirit in them, that spirit that, that energized you and had you praising the Lord and singing, you know, and, and, and listening to the word, that same spirit's in you out there. How do you turn that off? And, and again, this is not my idea, but the, the fellow that I was watching on TV, he, he was saying that there is a, it's like a light switch. And, and you electricians, there's a green screw on there. That green screw's for what? Now think about it. As God's person, how do you get grounded? It's right here, isn't it? Does that change when you go out? <laughs> Hopefully not. You still got the same ground, right? When we go out. And if you will, you have the power of God coming in one side and going out the other side. And if you're not going to have the power of God working in you, how do you turn that off? I'm not sure you can. Now, I think there's a lot of things we can do to, if you will, to quench it. And eventually it might get turned off. But we, we still are grounded. We still have the power in. And then if we have the power in, we ought to have the power out, which reflects in how we act, how we, what, what we are at work. But it also reflects on, on, on the chances that, you know, if somebody gives us a tougher job, it reflects on how, how we go about performing that. So, when this was all over, the guy asked a question. He said, how many of you are in full-time ministry? How many in here are in full-time ministry? A couple. Well, let's have some more music. And well, I'm going to go back over this again. And when I give the test the next time, <laughs> we're in full time ministry all the time, right? We are. Like it or not, we're in full time ministry all the time. Each of you who is a Christian, you're a full time minister. Full time minister. Now. <laughs> Another thing that he said that I really liked, he said, one of the favorite sayings when he was in the workplace, one of the favorite sayings was TGIF. You know what that stands for? Thank God it's Friday. He said, based on what he sees in the Word of God, what we ought to say when we leave here tonight is TGIF. I am. Thank God it's Monday. Because I get to go to work. I get to be a full-time minister. Are you ready? (laughs) You're getting quiet. Aren't you glad God loves us the way we are? but expects us to be like him. We are full-time ministers. Now, <laughs> you can get switches that are two-way, right? And, and, and if we continue to disobey, like they did in the garden, God can turn you off. Okay? So in two-way, he can turn you off, but most of the time, you're the one controlling the switch. But God can turn you off if you continue to disobey. Let's stand. His last statement was, you know what God likes more than Sunday? Monday. (laughs) He wants to see how you're going to handle it. Are you ready? Father, 
thank God we are full-time ministers. Thank God that, thank you that we are, Father, righteous because of the blood of Christ Jesus. Lord, you saw that original sin. You saw that we were born in trouble. You saw that we were born without that possibility, Father, of being what you want us to be. And you made it possible through the blood of Christ that we could be your people. Thank you for that, Lord God. Help us to be reminded, Lord God, that as we go into the workplace, as we, as we go about the work tomorrow, the responsibilities that we have, that, Lord, you will be there with us. We still have your spirit within us. You still, Lord God, want us to be people who do an excellent work. And, Lord, I give you thanks and I give you praise for your word. I, I pray, Father, you'll help us to hide it in our hearts and to be the people you want us to be. And so, Father, we just give you thanks and praise this night. And, Father, I, I, we just open the altars at this time for, Lord, a time of reflection of what you have done for us and of what, Lord, how we've responded to that. Help us not to be like the original, Lord God, who in days made the wrong choice. Help us to make the right choice. In Christ's name, amen.